Hello, thank you for joining the Camden First Assembly broadcast. We are so excited to share the Word of God with you today, believing that this Word is exactly what He has for your life. So, stay tuned for today's message, and as always, remember, there's a place for you at Camden First Assembly. Enjoying the journey. Enjoying the journey. And as you're turning there, I just want to say a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for every single one of you who, uh, who was, took time to, to be here uh, last Sunday, to, um, to serve last Sunday, took time to write a card, um, to, to send a gift, all of the ways that you showed um, your love and your appreciation last Sunday was a blessing uh, to my life. I have a stack of cards um, that are on my, on my dresser at home that I have read through several times. Um, and I just I thank you so much for being a church that loves and honors because um, it's truly an honor and it's a privilege to be able to serve you as your pastor and uh, just to be a part of what God's doing here in our church. Um, but I, I thank you. Thank you for your love and thank you for your appreciation. Had a wonderful, wonderful time last Sunday. Huge thanks to uh, the life group that helped prepare the meal. Special thanks to Brother Tim Smith and Miss Pam, and he did a wonderful job smoking that pork tenderloin. Hallelujah. And uh, amen. Wasn't that good? And uh, so huge thank you to him and uh, to each one of you that just took time um, out of your day and, and out of your routine to, uh, to show your love. And I know Austin and Haley feel the exact same way that I do, and uh, we're just so thankful for it. And I loved my table. I understand that Jose and Mindy were responsible for, uh, for decorating that table. All I can say is, go Bucks. I.O. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> Amen. Go Tigers. Yeah, congratulations to LSU. Way to beat Bama. Arkansas played yesterday. And um, so it was a good day. It was a great day. And uh, we're, <laughs> we're thankful for... <laughs> I'm going to pay for that one. But that's all right. You know, um, I'm thankful, thankful that we can have fun and excited about, um, excited about our, our football season. But more importantly, I'm excited about Jesus. Amen. And uh, let, me, let me just tell you, if you're an Arkansas fan, you're still on a winning team because you serve the king. Amen. All right. <laughs> Some salty people. First Timothy chapter 6, verse number 3 is where we're headed this morning. Enjoying the journey. Um, the Lord put this message on my heart uh, several weeks ago. And, um, of course, if you know, if you've been around CFA for very much time, you know I'm just, I want to be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit's got for us today. Whatever He wants to speak to us today, um, that's, what I, that's, that's what I want to, uh, that's what I want to bring to you is the Word that's on His heart. And, and so, um, last week, had the joy and privilege of having my parents with us. They shared um, their testimony, as much of it as they could, in the time that we had. And uh, I just want to say thanks for, thanks for hanging in there, thanks for staying uh, with us and, and letting them share. I just felt it was important for us to hear um, that we all have a story, that we all have a journey that we're in with the Lord. And uh, every single one of us, where we serve, what we do every single day, is, cru- is crucial and critical um, to the kingdom of God. Um, what you do every single day is critical to the kingdom of God. And you may think, well, my job doesn't have anything to do uh, with the church. You're wrong. Because you are the church. Amen? Tell your neighbor, you are the church. Hmm. Somebody didn't get enough coffee this morning. 
or didn't have a good enough breakfast today, or had a really, really long weekend. But whatever it is, I need you to just come along with me and preach with me. Tell your neighbor you are the church. Praise the Lord. All right, you're there. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, all of us are on this journey in this walk with the Lord. We're all, we're all experiencing what God has for us. And I, I just want to share this with you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse number 3. It says, If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. I love the bluntness of Paul. He just said it like it was. Don't you appreciate people that just say it like it is? Don't beat around the bush, just tell the truth. Yes, we like it until they're talking to us. And verse number six, but godliness with contentment is great gain. If you don't have that highlighted, if you don't have that underlined in your Bible or on your Bible app, do it. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray in these next few moments of time that you would speak to us from your word through your Holy Spirit. God, I ask that we would hear from heaven today, that, God, we would have a revelation from you today, that we would experience, Lord, uh, transformation, God, of our hearts, of our minds, in you, that, Lord, we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what your Holy Spirit is saying to us, that, God, we would continue to be the church that you have called us to be, enjoying the journey that you've called us to walk on. God, we ask today that your Holy Spirit would minister in this place, healing even now as we dive into your word. Lord, peace even now. God, revelation from heaven, wisdom from heaven, direction from heaven in this place. Have your way in this service, Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I wanted to talk to you about, about enjoying the journey, and I wanted to talk about this passage of Scripture, especially in, in verse number 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, because I wanted, to, I wanted to remind, and I felt like the Lord wanted to remind us of the importance of enjoying the journey. How many of you like going on a journey? You like going on a trip, a road trip? Um, uh, okay, a lot of us. All right, good. I like it. And um, you know, a lot of times, in order to take in order to take a longer trip, you have to. If you work full time, you got to take time off of work. You got to plan that all out. And if you're taking a uh, if you're taking a road trip, it takes some some time. If you're going, especially on a long journey, to figure out when you're going to leave, when you're going to come back, and all of those things. And uh, how many planners do I have in the room? You like to plan? Yeah. And how many of you, you just go with the flow? Whatever happens is what happens, and so it is. So let me ask you this, all right? For my planners and for my just let it happen people, what, um, what is your take on vacation, all right? So does vacation start the second you finish with work, or does vacation start after you reach your destination? So if it's after you reach your destination, I just want you to lift your hand. All right. How many of you, it's as soon as you're done with work, like as soon as you walk out? Okay, all right. So, and then some of you don't care. You're just going to go on the journey. And so, um, 
which is great. And, you know, but I, I, I've had this conversation with, with a few different people, and, and Rihanna and I have had this conversation. Rihanna's my girlfriend. She'll be here next weekend, so if you haven't had a chance to meet her, she'll be in town next weekend. We'd love for you to meet her. And we've had this conversation because she says vacation starts the second you're done with work, the second you're off. I say it starts when you get to your destination because I'm a planner. So I have figured out what time everybody needs to get up so that we can be in the car and on the road at 4 a.m. so that we can be to our beach destination at 4 p.m. so that we can check in. And the second that I get into that room, throw my bags down, and walk out on the balcony or out into the sand, I know vacation has begun. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Because then I can just let it go. That's how I work. That's, that's how my brain works. So for me... The journey oftentimes is about getting from where I am to where I need to be. And what happens a lot of times for me, being the planner that I am, if anything on the journey, if anything on the trip takes a turn, it begins to mess with the plan. If we're going to leave at 4 a.m. in the morning and it's a 12-hour trip with stops, I figured that in, then that means that we should be at our destination at 4 p.m. But if we have a stop where we sit down at a restaurant and eat, that wasn't calculated. We eat in the car, on the road, on the way so that we can get to where we need to be. Then suddenly I watch as I sit there as the time passes. That's another 10 minutes we could have been down the road. That's another 10 minutes we could have been down the road. That's another. How many of you do that? How many of you, right? And then there's others, there's others of us that vacation's already started. We'll get there when we get there. If we leave at 4 a.m. or 7 a.m. or 10 a.m. or it doesn't matter. We're on vacation. We're just going to get there. How many of you, that's you? You would say that's, yeah. You guys are experts at enjoying the journey. Amen. Can we give it up for all those that are good at enjoying the journey? Amen. That was weak. All right. And so those of us that we have a plan and we figured it out and we mapped it out in our brain, we become so frustrated when the plan begins to take a turn in the opposite direction and we have a hard time enjoying the trip. We have a hard time enjoying the journey because all we can think about is we could have already been there. That's what's going through our mind. And it's amazing how we're, all, how we're all wired and how we're all different and how we're all unique. But I want to compare for just a moment that experience that we have on, on taking a road trip or taking a trip somewhere and, and, and going through that process to how we journey through life. Because a lot of times, no matter which way we are when it comes to a trip or when we're traveling or when we're going somewhere and we're on that journey, the journey of life, we oftentimes begin, begin to get caught up in the dream and the destination and the promise and the place of life that we think that we're supposed to be in or the place that we want to be in. And we oftentimes forget to enjoy the journey. Because what happens is, is we get a promise from the Lord, we get a dream in our heart, we get a vision of what God has for us, or we have a problem, or we have a situation, or a season, or a circumstance of life that we're in, and all we want to do is get out of it. Amen? I don't know about you, but if it's bad, I don't want to stay. You ever got a, you ever got a bad hotel room? Oh, boy. <laughs> 
I can't wait to leave. Let's get out as fast as we can. Pack our bags. Let's go. The same is true in life when we find ourselves in a situation or a circumstance that especially one we didn't sign up for or one that we didn't expect, oftentimes our reaction is, how fast can I get out of this? How fast can I get through this trial? How fast can I get through this struggle? For the Israelites, can you imagine how fast can I get across this desert to the promised land? What should have been a few weeks' journey turned into 40 years of them spending time out there because I believe they forgot to enjoy the journey. Because what happens in our life is we get so caught up in the promise or the end result that we forget about the process. I don't know about you, but I don't always like the process. Amen? Amen. I want a white chocolate cheesecake with raspberry sauce, but I don't want to wait 15 hours for it to be done. When I decide I want it, I want it now. And we are that way in so many areas of our life. And what happens is, is in the church is oftentimes we forget the importance of the journey that God has us on. Because the desert or the wilderness that you may be in or the season of unexpected that you may be walking through today may be a very crucial part of your story, may be a very crucial part of your testimony, may be very, a very crucial part to the plan of God and the will of God being fulfilled, not just in your life, but in the lives of those around you. And what happens in the church and what happens in our lives as believers is we become so caught up in just getting to the finish line or getting to the end of the story that we forget to enjoy the journey that God has us on because we're more focused about what God's going to do for us or what's going to be different in our lives that we forget about the one that we're walking with. How easy is it for me as a planner to be so worried about what time I get there that I forget about the people that I'm traveling with. And in our life, how easy is it for us as the church to get so overwhelmed by the circumstance or the situation and be so desperate to get out that we forget about the one who's walking with us? I think about the disciples that had gotten on the boat and Jesus said, take me to the other side. He'd been teaching all day. So he did what any great preacher or teacher does at the end of a, of a long preaching or teaching session. You take a nap. Amen? Amen? And he went to the bottom of the boat and he went to sleep and a great storm came up and the boat's getting tossed from side to side and they're all fearing for their lives and they're desperate for him to do something and Jesus is sleeping. Why? He wasn't worried. Why? Because he knew the boat wasn't going to sink. But because he knew and because they didn't, their desperation led them to a place of crying out to him and begging for him to do something. And his response to them was asking them why or where was their faith to trust and to know that who they were with is more important than what they're going through. And my heart for us today and what God has for us today is to come to a point that instead of looking at how terrible and how horrible and how awful our situation is, taking a moment and stepping back and realizing that the, the, that the severity of the situation that we are in is not bigger than the one that we're walking with. That the person that is with us on this journey is far greater than the impossibility or the struggle that we face in our life. Because what happens is this, when we fail to enjoy the journey and embrace the one that we're, that we're going through this journey with, is we begin to pursue, we begin to lean on other things for our direction or for our escape. 
But I believe that God's called us as a church, as a body of Christ, to learn to enjoy the journey and experience the peace that passes all understanding, experience the joy in the midst of the trial, experience the blessings and the revelation and the manna and the provision of heaven that God has for us when we realize that even in the middle of the battle, even in the middle of the fight, that he's prepared a table before us in the presence of our enemies, that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, that we are reminded, that we remember that our God is greater, that our God is bigger, that our God is stronger, and that if he's for us, nothing and no one can be against us, and that he is all we need. Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, God is is. all you need. need. This passage of scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Is, a, is, is, is an incredible revelation of how we can live as believers enjoying the journey, whether we are on the mountaintop or in the deepest, darkest valley, of how we can experience the peace and the joy and the presence of God and enjoy the journey that we're in. I know some of you are saying, Connor, if you only knew how horrible, if you only knew how awful my journey is today or what I was going through today, You wouldn't even speak these words. You wouldn't even preach this message. But friends, can I tell you, it's important for me to share with you the revelation from the Word of God because when you and I have a shift in perspective of our situation, that's when the battle begins to change. And I believe that God has not called you and I to walk around in defeat. God has not called you and I to walk around discouraged. God has not called you and I to walk around overwhelmed. But he's called you and I to walk with the boldness and the confidence, the peace and the assuredness of heaven to know that we are more than victorious, that we are more than conquerors because of his love, because of who is walking with us through this storm and through this battle, and that we will see a victory. Amen? Amen? Amen. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to see a victory. Tell your neighbor, I'm going to see a victory. As believers, we have to walk through a victorious mindset. Now, when we come to this passage of Scripture, our immediate natural understanding of what Paul is talking about in this and what, is, what has often and so many times been taught is that money is evil. Money is evil. Money is evil. And the problem, the problem with that is, A, the context is not there, and B, money is not evil, the love of it is. Because what happens is, is when you love money, it means that you, and, and it becomes the driving force of your life, it means that you've replaced your first love. Which if you go to Revelation chapter 2, I believe it's verse number 4, God or Jesus is, is talking to the church in Ephesus and he says, I hold this against you, you have forsaken your first love, you have forgotten your first love. And what Jesus is talking about is who is first in your life, what matters most. And what happens in this passage of scripture is oftentimes we take it in, in, in its literal context and take it out of the context of what Paul was speaking and we begin to, we begin to attack what God uses as a tool to advance his kingdom. God does not want you to be poor. God does not want you to be broke. God does not want you to be broke, busted, and disgusted, as it sometimes has been preached in the church. In case you forgot, in Malachi chapter 3, he says, if you'll give 
a tenth of what you have, a 10%, a tithe off of what God has blessed you with, that he'll throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you won't have room enough to store it. Now, if God makes that promise, how is the means and the funds and the ways that God wants to bless you, how is that going to be considered evil? Anything that takes place over him being first in your life is evil. (laughs) Because what happens is, is you take God out of the first pursuit of who he is and what he's called you and I to be, and we begin to pursue and we begin to rely on other things and other means instead of him. And what Paul is saying and what Paul is what Paul is actually addressing in this passage of scripture is those that have taken the gospel and that have taken the mission of what God has established and have twisted it to use it as a means to profit themselves and in turn and and in turn take that prophet that's coming in and say, well, this is God's approval of what he's spoken. But the truth is this, when you and I understand what Paul is saying in verse 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, it's basically taking us back to what Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, our verse for this year at CFA, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Why? Because when God is first in our lives, you can't help but be blessed. Because in the seasons where you don't seem to have enough, he will be more than enough. In the seasons when you don't have the ability, when you don't have the strength, when you don't have the means, he will be your strength. He will be your ability. He will be your means. What, God, what Paul is saying is those who are not seeking after God first, those who are not pursuing God first, are robbing themselves of the blessings that God has. Because friends, can I tell you there is not enough money on the world that will bring you the peace that God has for you. There is not enough money in the world that will bring the healing that only heaven can give to you. There is not enough money in the world that will give you the blessings, the promises, the identity, and the place of confidence in the kingdom of heaven as a child of God that God has for you when you and I put Jesus first in our lives. But can I tell you this? God's kids are blessed. And what happens is, is in the journey of life, what, what we often do is we latch onto or grab onto or begin to pursue things that we can feel, that we can touch, that we think we can manage on our own to address the crisis or the situation or the season that we're in. And what happens in that process is we begin to take God out of what's first in our life and we begin to pursue these other means in order to get us through the situation and the circumstance. It's a beautiful plot of the enemy to twist what it is that God has established and what it is that God has promised. But if we'll seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, what we'll actually experience is not only the provision and the blessings of heaven, but more than what we expected. Godliness with contentment is great gain. There are three questions I want to ask this morning about enjoying the journey. Number one is this. Number one is this. Are you content? Are we content? Are you content? If you look at, if you look at the, the definition of what content is, and Paul even goes into a little bit more detail, if we have food, if we have clothes, if we have the basic necessities of what we need in our life met, We'll be content with that. Content is that place of saying, I have all I need. Being content is reaching the, is reaching the place of what I have, what, what I have 
is more than enough. Contentment is based on godliness. Godliness is about reverence, if you break it down in what the Greek is, holiness or the pursuit of God first in your life. Because what Paul is saying is this, if you have God first, you will be content. People that are content, you know what they have? Peace. I just want you to know, mom and dad shared their story last week, and there were plenty of moments <laughs> where we didn't have anything. There were, there were days that we fasted because we didn't have food. So we fasted and prayed and believed for the Lord to provide. But in every single one of those moments, even in the unknown of what was coming next, there was something that we had that this world cannot provide. And it is the peace of God. Because when you and I say yes to Jesus and we're obedient to what he tells us to do, even when it looks like everything around us is falling apart, even when the report says it is falling apart, even when there's chaos all around, even when the winds of life are raging and the waves of life are raging, it's in that moment that we have peace. Because we know who we are, whose we are, and the plan that he has for our lives. I'm convinced that the day that, that the disciples woke Jesus up on the boat and he went up and spoke to the winds. And the, if, you, if you watch Jesus' reaction, he wasn't hysterical like the disciples. Oftentimes when we experience the unexpected or when we move forward with a plan that we feel that God has given us and then we're faced with the waves and the wind and the chaos of it, we begin to respond in hysteria because we didn't see it coming. And all the while, Jesus gets up, walks out to the edge of the boat, and declares, peace be still, and the wind ceases and the waves are calm. And the response that Jesus had is something that's important for us to model, and that is the understanding that we have peace, that we are content in who we are and what God has established for our lives. If you and I are not content, we can't ever enjoy the journey. And what I'm convinced happens in our lives is because of the chaos and the unexpected events and the storms and the, and the trials that we walk through, the enemy does everything that he can to rob us of our peace. And we begin trying to figure out how we're going to address, how we're going to handle the situation, the crisis that's in front of us. And we forget who's walking with us through this journey. Friends, if you said yes to Jesus, if I said yes to Jesus and we're doing what God has called us to do and we're being obedient to fulfill the promise that he's established in our lives, can I just tell you, you have nothing to fear. It's why Paul could so boldly make the declaration that he did when he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Because he was content with whatever happened today or whatever happened tomorrow because he had established who and what was first in his life. Number two this morning, enjoying the journey. The second question I have is this. What is first in our lives? I, 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 preached, I preached this message in, in January and again in February, and I've gone back to it and referenced it many times throughout the year. But that, that verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, that Jesus gives, I'm telling you, church, it is the key 
to enjoying the journey. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well, will be added to you as well. Why? Because when God is first, everything that comes after that is under his blessing. When God is first, everything else, the reason that God says give a tithe, give a tenth of what you have, we see Abraham did that in the Old Testament, we continue to see God's principle of that all throughout the Word, all of that was a declaration of, okay, Lord, this is what I have, this is what I give to you, because everything else, the 90 that I have left, the 90% that I have left, is under your covering. And what happens is we open ourselves up to the blessings and the promises of what God has in our lives. Does it mean we won't face troubles or that we won't face trials? No. But it means that when we do, guess who has a plan? Guess who's responsible for seeing you through? No longer is it on you, it's now on Him. And the beautiful thing is, is He always has a plan. What's first in our lives will determine what takes place and the effects of what happens in our lives. What's first? What's the number one priority? What is, what is the one thing that has to be done every day, that has to be done every week, that has to take place in our lives? Is seeking God your number one priority? Because I can promise you this, if He's not first in our lives, we won't have the peace to be content and enjoy the journey that God has us on. Because here's the deal, when we're seeking Him first, we remember when the unexpected comes, who's in control. You know, I, I, talked, about, I talked about taking that journey, I, I talked about taking that, um, that road trip, and, um, you know, when we're, when, we're on that, when we're on that trip, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, especially for me being the planner that I am, it's so easy for us to get caught up in getting there that we oftentimes forget who we're with. And we forget the journey that, we forget the journey that we're on. Rihanna and I, uh, uh, several weeks back, went um, to Circleville to the Pumpkin Show. I talked a little bit about that a couple of weeks ago when we had gotten back. 400,000 people come to this event in a city of 13,000. Listen, if they can do it in Circleville, they can come to Camden too. Just saying. And um, so they come to this, this, this small town. We go to this small town. It's where my parents are from and where all of our family lives. And so we go and we, we have the celebration. So Rihanna had come in and spent the, that Sunday with us. And so we were getting up Monday to go to Ohio. <clears throat> and me being the planner that I am, I knew that in order for us to miss rush hour in Louisville, Kentucky, in order for us to miss rush, miss rush hour in Cincinnati, Ohio, that we had to leave at 4 o'clock in the morning because we were going to lose an hour when we crossed over into the eastern time zone. And so we had to leave at 4 in order to reach that destination. And so we got up at 3.15, I think it was, on Monday morning, and we got everything loaded up into the truck, and, and we took off, and we got, to, uh, we got about to Memphis, I guess it was. And she said, let's eat. And I said, all right, what do you want? McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, drive through okay, the planner. And she said, let's go to Cracker Barrel. And I said, <laughs> on the inside, I said, okay. <laughs> 
So I start running the time in my head. All right, if we, 30 minutes, if it's not busy, we can get in, we can get out, we can go. And she said, she said, I know what's happening. She said, you're running the numbers in your head. And I said, no, no. She said, yes, you are. And I said, okay, I am. I'm running the numbers in my head. I'm trying to figure out how we can go. And she said, listen, let's just enjoy Let's just enjoy this trip. And, you know, we went in. We stopped at, we stopped at Cracker Barrel just on the other side of, of Memphis. And it was perfect. It was a cold morning. They had the fireplace going. Our table ended up being right there by the fireplace. They brought our breakfast out. We were in and out. No lie. We were in and out in less than 30 minutes. And we got back in the truck, and she just, she just said, hmm. <laughs> and we got in, and we took off. And the Lord reminded me, the Lord reminded me, about the importance of remembering who you're with. I was so caught up in getting there that I was forgetting about the person that I was with and the time that we were getting to spend together. And what happens in life, what happens in life in our journey is oftentimes we get so caught up in trying to get to the place that we think we need to be in order to make it through, in order to have arrived, in order to have achieved the dream, in order to have achieved the, achieved the goal, that we forget the importance of what's first. What matters most is that we're walking hand in hand with Jesus. And that on the unexpected turns or stops on the unexpected journey of life, that we find ourselves in a place, that we find ourselves in a position where we're getting to spend time with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That the waves that are crashing and the winds that's blowing, there may be some insight and some revelation that God wants to give you that if the water had been calm and the wind had never blown, you'd never have. There may be journeys, there may be stops, there may be unexpected turns that had you never gone down that road, had you never gotten lost, had you never felt like you didn't know if you were ever going to reach your breakthrough, reach your victory, reach that place, had you never gone through that, you would have never met some of the people that you met. You would have never been able to minister to some of the people that you were able to minister to. You would have never experienced some of the blessings or some of the benefits that God has. But when God is first, nothing else matters. Amen? Amen. Because at the end of the day, can I ask you this question? What are we living for? For how much money we can have in our bank account? For our dream house that we can build? For the car that we've always wanted? For the clothes that everyone else has? The latest phone that's out? (laughs) What are we living for? Are we living for the victories just of today? Are we living for the hope of what eternity holds? Of who we are as the children of God? Listen, it doesn't... There's there's a shift that's happening in the body of Christ today that we are recognizing what the enemy is doing and no longer playing into the fear and the tactics that he's used because we're seeking him first. And when the enemy comes, we recognize... (laughs) This is just another ploy to steal, kill, and destroy. This is just another attempt to rob me, to rob my family, to rob us of the peace and of the plan and of the promise of what God has. No matter what comes, I win. Because He won. Amen? Amen? Thirdly this morning, third question I want to ask. What do we love most? What do we love most? If we're going to enjoy the journey, we have to establish what we love 
most, what's most important to us in our lives, what's most important to us in our, our day-to-day reactions, experiences, and time that we have. Verse number 10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. For the love of money, what do you love most? What is it that you rely on most? What is it that when it's not there, shakes you to your core? What is it when it feels like it's gone, that it, that, that it, that it robs you of, of your peace? What do you love most? What do I love most? Jesus, Jesus said when he was asked what the most or what the greatest commandment was, he said the first is to love God with everything. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Those two principles that God gave were the foundation of what God is and who he's called us to be, which is love. First John chapter 4, one of, my favorite, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, talks about who God is. God is love. It is because of love that Jesus came. It is because of love that you and I are saved. It is because of love that we have the promise. It's because of love. So what's the very thing that the enemy would try to steal, or the very thing the enemy would try to replace in our lives, is what we love most. If we love God most, if we love God first, if we love God with everything that we have, there's a shift that happens in our life because everything else falls under His love. And when His love becomes the foundation of who we are and what we do, there's a shift that happens in how we begin to enjoy the journey that God has us on and the things that God begins to reveal and the things that God begins to do and that He begins to give in our life. If you, if you look at verse number 10, and He says, For the love of money is, the, is a root of all kinds of evil. And you go back to the first couple of verses we read, 3 and 4. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and a godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, and malicious talk, evil suspicions, verse number 5, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. What happens? What we love most substitutes what we pursue. And at the bottom, at, at, at the end of it all, the basis of it all, underneath it all, it's the motive of what's behind our heart. I love what, I love what God said to the prophet Samuel when he went to anoint the next king of Israel after Saul had disobeyed him. And God had lifted his anointing from him and it was time for Samuel to, next, to anoint the next king of Israel. And Samuel went in and he saw all of these men that Jesse had. And he thought, surely this is the one, surely this is the one. And God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And the reason that God looks at the heart is because it's what drives us. It's what motivates us. It's oftentimes what controls us. What you and I love is the fuel for what drives us to pursue the things that we do. Oftentimes, we can't enjoy the journey because we have forgotten our first love. 
and we forget our first love because we come, become so worried about the destination or the breakthrough or the victory that we forget that even in the storm, He is with me. What I love most is not the blessings that God can give me. It's not the healing that God can give me. It's not the financial miracle that God can give me. It's not... The, the dreams that God can give me. It's not the promises that God... What I love most isn't those things. What I love most is Jesus. Those things are just a result of His love. Because here's the deal. When you're loved, you can't help but be blessed. Think about it. The people that you love, what do you do to spoil them? Some of y'all spend way too much money on the people you love. Some offended folks. I can't believe you would say that. Good. Why? You love them. You're going to spoil them. You want to bless them. And God says, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who love him? You can't be a child of God and not be blessed. But what happens in our life is love, what we love most, drives us and oftentimes derails us from what God has for us. Because here's what happens in the church. We begin chasing the miracle instead of the miracle worker. We begin chasing the promise instead of the promise keeper. We begin chasing the way through instead of the way maker. And here's the thing. If you chase the one you love the most, and his name is Jesus, he will carry you through. He will keep his word. And he will do every miracle that needs to be done. If we're going to enjoy the journey, we have got to make sure that what we love first is Jesus. Jesus said in John 16, in this life, you will face trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. There's no doubt as believers that we're going to face impossible situations. I want, to under, I want you to understand something this morning, because I don't want anybody to leave out of here offended. Not that I have any control over that, but I'm going to do my best. Tell your neighbor, don't be offended. Offense will destroy you and destroy those around you. Don't be offended. If you're offended or think you might be offended, read The Bait of Satan by John Bevere. It'll change your life. If you're offended that I'm talking to you about offense, you're probably offended and need to read the book. And if you're not sure, read it anyways. It'll still bless your life. <laughs> It'll shut any door to offense that you may have. All right, my last plug about offense. And so when it, when, it comes to, when it comes to this talking about enjoying the journey, it would, be real easy, it would be real easy to be offended at what I'm saying to you and saying you just don't understand my situation or my circumstance. Hear me, I, I, I may not understand your situation and I may not understand your circumstance because I may not have ever walked through what you've walked through or been through what you've been through. Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us. And it matters. It matters to God and it, truly it matters to the people of God even if we don't always know how to relate. But understand this. In your trial, in your storm, in your situation, understand that God has already overcome. Find peace, find contentment in knowing that He is in control. That even what it looks like the enemy has used in your life to destroy you, 
even what it looks like what the enemy has used in your life to defeat you, God has the final say. Do not lose hope. Keep on seeking Him. Keep on loving Him. Keep on chasing after Him. Do not settle for what it looks like or what it feels like or what it seems like today. Chase after His presence and don't be satisfied until you find Him. Because when you find Him is the moment that you'll begin to enjoy the journey. This is, this is the verse that the Holy Spirit reminded me of in James. Love the book of James. I want to do I want to do a series on James like I did with Galatians, but the Holy Spirit hasn't <laughs> He hasn't told me to, to do it yet, so I'm waiting. But I love this in, in James chapter one, verse number two. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Consider it pure joy. That's a hard thing to do when you're in the middle of a trial. It's a hard thing to do when you're faced with the impossible. But can I tell you, if you'll not focus all of your attention on the trial, but on the one who's with you in the trial, if you'll focus your attention not on the chaos and the uncertainty of what you're going through right now, but on the one who is leading you, who you are following. I love what Austin said. Such a powerful revelation this morning of following Jesus. The trial that you're in, the storm that you're in, the difficulty you're in, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And what happens in that moment is when there's a shift and we begin to enjoy the journey, we begin hearing what God has to say about the people that we find ourselves with in the middle of this storm, in the middle of this season. People that if you weren't going through that trial, if you weren't going through that storm, if you weren't going through that difficulty, you would have never had any other action, interaction with them otherwise. But because you're in that storm, see, there's a shift that happens when we begin to enjoy the journey because we realize, oh, wait, 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 wait. To the world, it looks like I'm here because of this. But the kingdom of God has a different purpose, and I'm actually here because of Him. And this trial has a purpose. This pain has a purpose. This impossibility has a purpose. I'm not going through this because of some great awful thing or sin that I've committed. I'm going through this because of the one that I'm walking with, that I'm following behind, that I'm seeking first. What is it that God's going to do in this trial? What is it that God's going to do in my pain that's not only going to transform my situation, but transform those around me with His love, with His peace, and with His presence?
the moment that we realize that the battle is not ours, that the trial is not ours, that the circumstances are not ours, is the moment that we begin to enjoy the journey. You know how much more enjoyable it is to go on a trip when you're not worried about trying to make something happen? I have, the rest of my trip to Ohio was wonderful. I had a wonderful time. In our life, in this life, don't forget to enjoy the journey. Stand with me all over this room. If you're here this morning, you say, Connor, I've been overwhelmed. I've been frustrated. I've been miserable. I've been questioning. I've been wondering why. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. I need, I needed this word from the Lord today. I needed to be reminded to enjoy the journey. Hear me. Enjoying the journey is not saying I'm okay with my situation and circumstance. It's saying I'm okay with the one I'm with and my situation and circumstance. And I know that He will lead me through.